Um, I think I'm probably drinking at least as much as I normally would if I was out in the wild. <laughs> so, so I saw someone, to paraphrase, someone posted this thing on my Facebook about, they said something like, can't wait until the pubs reopen so I can slow down on my drinking a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's exactly, true. right? Yeah. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast about music hosted by myself, Rich Newham, and my co-host, Mr. Henry Salmon. Welcome back to I Might Be Wrong. It's just the two of us again. So you've got me, Rich Newham. You've got my co-host, Henry Salmon. Hello. How you doing, sir? No, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. We, we've got into a rut of you having beers and me having tea, which is um, maybe a sign of my old age. But this is entirely your fault. Yes, I'm, <laughs> you I have a choice. Yeah, it was just a statement. It's not a good statement, but it's OK because beer is very close. So I'll get through the pain of recording a podcast and then everything will be fantastic. It's not painful. We enjoy no. these. That's the whole point, right? Absolutely. It's not like it's anyone's so. actually listening to them, although apparently people are. Welcome back, by the way, if you made it through last week's marathon Radiohead episode, which clocked in at just a smidge over an hour long. Yeah, that was a long chat. It was a good chat, but it was a long chat. I really enjoyed it. And and hopefully those of you that listened enjoyed it too. Let let us know in, in the comments if, you, if you've made it that far yet. So we're, we're not going to go for quite the same marathon this time round. I think this is, this is your choice, uh, Rich. You, and you've chosen... I have gone with a chap called Nick Drake, and I am picking Brighter Later, which is my favourite of his three albums. So... Tell us about Nick Drake, because he's um, he's a bit of an enigma. Some people <laughs> will know of him. A lot of people won't. Um, and he's got quite an interesting backstory. So, yeah, give us some info on him. So he's a singer songwriter, very folksy with this sort of interesting jazz edge that meant that when he was releasing albums, people couldn't quite place where they should think about him. When was he recording his stuff? So he. He was recording between 69 and 72, and he recorded three albums. And he's he's a very talented singer-songwriter guy. Piano and acoustic guitar-driven, bit of bluesiness, bit of jazziness. He's sort of a bit like, not sound-alike Elliot Smith, but the same kind of just a few albums, very cult-strong following from people that know him, but not very well-known, generally speaking, and certainly not well-known in his lifetime. Probably only sold a few thousand albums of each of his albums while he was still alive yeah it it did from from what i've read it sounded like at, at the time the folk crowd although he was pigeonholed in with that crowd they didn't really get him because he didn't have the kind of folk choruses and the the really more mainstream albums so i think he was dismissed really at the time and he didn't really market himself well the well the reviewers didn't seem to like him because they thought he was a bit too lounge jazz which seems insane now listening to his albums but they are quite lush and quite layered other than pink moon which is much more stripped back and just just a guitar in his voice um, i personally prefer the layered stuff i do like pink moon but it doesn't have the same impact for me yeah because I've, I've listened to the three of them as well and brighter later is probably the most it's the most uplifting i think it's it's because it, it, some of his music can be quite somber and, and this is this is a a happier track 
um well musically it is but lyrically it's still quite dark five leaves left has some dark stuff on it as well but is it, it feels it's a debut album it feels like it's not quite perfected the sound there's there's all that slightly rough around the edges thing that you often get with those with those debuts so we should probably mention he recorded the three albums became a recluse moved back from london to his parents and then very sadly at aged only 26 he died of a an overdose of antidepressants but he'd basically struggled with depression and insomnia for his whole life despite having quite quite what would seem to most people from the outside as as quite quite charmed life he was head boy at his prep school he was a champion sprinter at marlborough he was a naturally talented musician apparently picked up the guitar very very easily Uh, and he was a cambridge university student all of these things feel like quite a positive story until you hit the three records and a suicide yeah and and i don't know whether it was a an actual intended suicide he was taking antidepressants and I, don't, I think the jury's out on whether he actually wanted to to kill himself or whether he was just on these on these pills and took an overdose. But but either way, it, it's tragic. But it seems like out of that, I think some of his hardcore fans kept writing letters to him for his parents, and and from there it was kind of this groundswell of of appreciation, and and the, the cult was born. It's a bit like Jeff Buckley when when Jeff Buckley died, and he was in a similar situation, uh, probably a bit older than older than him and jeff buckley drowned was it in the mississippi it's one of those rivers in the in the south of the states and from that point he's become a cult figure and i think um nick drake's our kind of english version of that almost i think that happened i think that happened quicker for jeff buckley and for elliot smith than it did for nick drake so nick drake he was produced by a guy called joe boyd who became a friend through their work and he insisted that nick drake's work had to be kept in print so he sold out his record label to one of the others i can't remember who it was now but one of the bigger record labels and part of that deal was that nick drake's work had to be kept alive and even though it barely sold any copies that basically allowed for this renaissance decades after his death so he really only came to light when pink moon uh featured in an ad in 2000 for Volkswagen I think and he apparently sold more records within a month of that ad starting really? than he had in the previous 30 years no I didn't I didn't know that so it was, it was just 2000 it was so yeah wow really you know for that broader appeal wow. and uh, but but you you take a look at the people he's influenced and it's it's some really huge artists so Paul Weller was played some of his music by members of Ocean Colour Scene. And apparently that inspired the more mellow vibe that you get on Wildwood, which I didn't know until I did the research for this podcast. But you can definitely hear that. There's there's an element of folksiness to Wildwood that you wouldn't necessarily have associated with Paul Weller and the jam before that. Yeah, you can tell there are influences all over the place. If, if you take um, the second track, hazy jane too that is that basically sounds like all of bell and sebastian's work condensed into one <laughs> into one song it's well, um, Turin breaks as well Turin breaks yeah, are hugely yeah, influenced true. by him true so and apparently even nora jones recorded a cover of day is done where's she gone 
Who knows? <laughs> Had better things to do. What, what's your favourite song on the album? Oh, oh, that's a hard question. Let's let's talk about the album a bit more first, and then come back to some of the tracks that I that I enjoy. I don't know whether you've looked at the artwork for the album. Um, in passing, it's um, there's so just you, like a purpley cover with a guy on the front of it or something. Is that right? Yeah. So it's it's a it's a portrait of Drake, and you've talked about the fact that the album is quite positive and uplifting sounding and the artwork is really quite at odds with that it's this almost folded in on himself sitting on a chair with his shoes kind of kicked off in front of him and this the way it's lit makes his eyes look really dark and it's almost this slightly disturbing photo of him that maybe hints at some of those dark undercurrents, but without really being obvious until you take a, a closer look at it, which I really quite like. True. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it is. Um, that is interesting. I've not noticed that kind of the darkness there before. I thought that was just a, your standard stock 70s photo of someone, but it's not, is it? It's, uh, <laughs> and it's it looks much... like it until you look closely. Yeah. And that that's kind of a running theme with this because the music sounds positive until you listen closely. And there's a lot of, the way that his music works is a lot like that. And I was drawn to this beautiful, airy, folksy sound. But the more you listen to it, the more you get drawn in by the lyrics. How did you stumble across him? This is another one from Garden State. So thanks, Zach Braff. There's a, there's a moment fairly early on in that film where I think it's one of these things first. Yes, one of these things first is playing across just one of the scenes in the film and I just really loved it and so when I got hold of the soundtrack and there's a lot on that soundtrack that I absolutely love it's it's one of those things where I then went and listened to this and it's it's just this beautiful bright airy piece of work it's gorgeous gorgeous folksy guitar you then have the kind of piano intro kicking in and then then his lyrics and it's it's quite contemplative it's it's sort of thinking about the choices that you make in life and how that can impact where you end up being led by them uh so that was that was my intro to the album and a lot of the pieces that sound like that are what what i enjoy from the album yeah, one of the I, things yeah. that i think you won't know about this album that i was fascinated by is who was involved so there are about half of the members of fairport convention there are two Beach Boys and there's John Cale from the Velvet Underground. It's right. a hell of a really list of well. musicians from that era to, so, to have been on an did, album. That was how, did he, how did he find those guys? Because if you were just a, uh, starting out, they must have they must have just stumbled across him and thought this guy's good. Uh, he was he was in that scene. So yeah. there's Fairport Convention. Uh, one of the I think it's the bassist from Fairport Convention was one of the guys that actually discovered him in the first place, saw him live and recommended him to Joe Boyd, who did the production on all of his albums. Right. So that's that's sort of where that connection comes in. And then I'm I'm guessing that Fairport Convention have more connections to that world that they were then able to to lean on. But yeah, so he he then brought in for Five Leaves Left, which Five Leaves Left five leaves left i can't even say it. five leaves left is actually just referring to the number of cigarette wrappers that he had left in a pack right that's literally where the name of the album comes from which awesome is, but apparently they brought in they brought in someone to do the arrangements on that first album and nick drake hated 
what this guy had done waited till all the musicians had gone home and then made it very clear that he knew someone from his cambridge university days that could do a much better job and refused to work with with the guy that they brought in and so he brought in a guy called robert robert kirby who was a guy that he'd met through the musician side of things at cambridge university and apparently they had almost this unspoken understanding of what drake wanted in terms of the sound and so he would just put these arrangements together. So all the strings and all that kind of stuff is is the work of Kirby, not actually Drake. It's the way that all good bands work, isn't it? You, there's there's so many times where you you start reading into a band's background and you realise that it's not the front man or it's not the you know the obvious people that there's it takes the whole band to pull together to make something special. The whole band, the engineers, the producers, just, yeah, yeah, so many elements that go into making an album sound how it should sound but yeah i was fascinated by that it's in terms of the actual musicians that were involved it's it's a hell of a list who who were the beach boys just out of interest because i'm um because i'm a i'm a massive fan i'm not sure to tell you i don't i don't know which beach boys it was i may or may not have nabbed that from wikipedia as a fact <laughs> it's a good fact though i mean the whole album's amazing with this it this sound is it's sort of a bit like we said a bit jazzy a bit folksy but for me it's very evocative of almost like a, a lost time of unsport countryside and little country villages and just just this almost lost life yeah that's how i listen to it actually so this album in particular is a funny one for me because the the, the listening window that i have for this album is very very small as in there aren't many situations where I put this album on and I don't really, I don't know. Do I really like it? I don't think it will be in my top, top 50 albums, but if you've got me in a, I don't know, in a, say at a coffee shop with a friend or, and you're having a chat with someone or I don't know, there's a very, when this is on in the background and you're chatting away to someone, it creates a really nice mood, but I don't think, there are many situations where I'd go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to put Nick Drake on in the background. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't catch me in, in that way. See, for me, it's very much a background music on a nice summery day. So yeah. whether that's me by myself pottering around the house or whether it's early afternoon, friends over for a barbecue, that kind of music, it's it's got that element of something that's, because if you're not really listening to the lyrics, it's quite, easy listening yeah exactly and and particularly stuff so the the first proper track on the album because there's an intro track is hazy jane 2 which is odd because the first part of hazy jane appears later in the album i don't know quite how that works but it's really beautiful but it's got these kind of tumbling lyrics so it almost feels like they're falling out of him and and they almost run over the edge of where you're expecting that lyric to finish and it sounds airily upbeat, but there's this, there's still this dark edge to it. So, and what will happen in the morning when the world gets so crowded that you can't look out the window in the morning? And if songs were lines in a conversation, the situation would be fine. You can hear him battling with those demons and the inability to be understood. Yeah. So sonically, yeah. I mean that that track is the, your my Bell and Sebastian comparison, but lyrically mm-hmm. it is it is much darker than that. But again, Bell and Sebastian were good at that as well. Something that sounds quite airy and upbeat, but has really sinister undertones. Yeah. 
yeah well one of their albums is called live your feeling sinister so right <laughs> right it's, it's, it's you're right there what about other tracks on there that you um that you enjoy i really like brighter later as a track it's just an instrumental but it's it's really pretty and i really like it poor boy is a bit more interesting so it's it's less of the folksy upbeat and it's a bit more jazzy there's a bit of bluesiness to it and it's it's almost sounds a bit off kilter yeah uh, and the lyrics are great it's got bits in there so he sings nobody knows how cold it grows and nobody sees how shaky my knees but then you have this chorus that kicks in of his backing singers singing oh poor boy so sorry for himself and it's almost mocking him with his own feelings of depressiveness and why are you feeling like this you've got it fine like stop feeling sorry for yourself element to it which i really like interesting isn't it that that when when that comes in that there is that question of is he is he mocking himself is that a is are those voices voices of him his the other side of his personality the upbeat side there must have been one going come on get yourself out of this hole yeah that is an interesting point Or, or even external people telling him that he shouldn't feel sorry for himself when he doesn't himself know how to get out of that that mood and that depressiveness you know there's all sorts of and because you know he was he was famously insular didn't like media attention didn't do interviews barely toured in the later days so no one really knows what he meant with some of these lyrics so it's all very open to interpretation which is it's fascinating when you go looking for some of these songs online and see what other people think about where he was coming from yeah I, I never know with him whether he's he's just in that category of because he wasn't famous and he's now well known and because he's dead and because there wasn't much going on at the time and people didn't really know him people kind of fall over themselves to go oh yeah he's he's my my second favorite artist because because i love his work and and yeah in the same way as as someone would rave about jeff buckley just because they've heard hallelujah and they've gone oh well it's jeff buckley's a genius so i don't know maybe i'm being harsh on the guy but i i don't know i don't know that that's harsh on him i think i think it's maybe an indictment of some more hipster indie fans who want to say the right things rather than necessarily believing those things and i i i tend to agree with you on that on that front i think there are definitely people who say they like artists like nick drake so that they can have the obscurity upper edge or, yeah. sorry not not <laughs> upper edge upper hand yeah, yeah. And, and and i i just genuinely enjoy listening to his music i was gutted when i found out that the guy had been dead for for 30 years at the point where i discovered him <laughs> but yeah and, and there's it's the positivity of the sound and the folksiness of the sound that dragged me into listening to his stuff. But the lyrics are, are kind of interesting. And I could understand if you came across this stuff as a, you know, mid-teen, troubled, that stuff could really appeal. It's not something yeah. that appeals so much to me, but I can see that appeal to to people in those situations. Massively. I, and I think you've, you've nailed it there. I, th- I think there are people who will absolutely latch onto this sound in, in, in certain situations and, and I think if I had stumbled across him when I was younger, it would have had much more effect because there is so so much interest in his lyrics and 
and sonically he doesn't do things by the book he doesn't just go verse chorus verse chorus for 10 songs and then play it on top of the pops for everyone that's just not what he did so there is that element of and anyone who hasn't listened to any of his stuff have a listen to hazy jane and hear how those lyrics really tumble out because it almost feels awkward when you first hear it and then you listen to it a couple of times and it, it starts to work really well and there are things like that that i really love about his songwriting ability that i think are underrated all right let's finish with northern sky because i really love this song it's this beautiful very classic folk intro and it's more hopeful than some of the others certainly from a from a lyrical perspective so it's got lyrics like i never saw magic as crazy as this and brighten my northern sky so it's a little bit more of like an upbeat end for the album which which i always love you know we talked about this last week with okay computer i love that release of emotion and something that's a little bit more hopeful for the future i i love the lyrics to this this song is um and this is kind of why out of the three albums this one resonates the most with me because the that hope in there like the lyric um I, I never held emotion in the palm of my hand or felt sweet breezes in the top of a tree there's a lot to that and i've never felt sweet breezes at the top of a tree although i've climbed a few um but i, <laughs> but I like the thought of that and i think that's where this album of the three of them i, I think you, you pick the best one just because it does show that that hopeful side of him yeah, and I think there are definitely things from the other albums. So there's there's a track called Fruit Tree on, I think it's on Five Leaves. And yeah. that's really ominous because it, it has lyrics in there that almost predict his career and his life. So there there are, I mean, the end of it is really dark. There's There's a lyric in there, safe in the womb of an everlasting night. You'll find the darkness can give the brightest light safe in your place deep in the earth that's when they'll know what you were really worth. And it's almost all around this thing of you'll never be famous in your lifetime. You'll never really be understood while you're alive. You'll only be appreciated once you're dead. It's interesting, isn't it? That's like kind of curling up underneath your duvet into a little ball and trying to stay as far away from the world as possible. It's, yep. uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. That, that guy had some demons. He really did. And it, it's so sad to think that someone's so talented with so much going for them in life it, it's just it's something that people really need to understand is that it doesn't matter how great your life seems from the outside depression is still a demon that a lot of people suffer with and i think it's true there's plenty of famous people you've only got to look at people like robin williams kurt cobain is is one of those people who couldn't deal with the fame because he never felt like he was worthy of it he never felt like he was someone who should have that when when he had everything to the to you know your average outsider and i think nick drake is another one of those where he really struggled with depression and demons and it didn't matter that he was incredibly talented and very well respected by the people in his inner circle well it's interesting that he's he was almost pushed by people in the industry to promote himself and push himself and everyone was saying come on nick you can do this and and them pushing him, I don't know whether that was was part of it or whether it was just a result of his success. There's a story that comes up time and time again when you start doing research on him, of him playing this gig where he was in between a sit-down dinner and a disco 
and he came on stage and maybe half a dozen people came and watched him while he was performing and other people were still clearing away tables and chairs and people at the bar chatting and and he played five or six songs and then just packed up his stuff and left and and <laughs> apparently just people who knew him saw saw his confidence just drain from him and he hated performing because he he almost craved that engagement with the audience wow. and and you know what it's like you go and see performers when they're early on people are chatting at the back of the it's it's only once an artist gets famous enough that they're almost earned that right to people's attention and he just never seemed to be able to push through that so he hated performing live and and eventually he just stopped touring so barely toured for brighter later i don't know that he did any touring after pink moon i don't think he did and so i mean we normally talk about have we seen this this performer live but obviously both of us were not even born no you know <laughs> but, but even if I, if I talk to my dad and his his musical buddies who were pretty clued in to all that stuff i'm not sure i'm not sure they he would have seen him either you'd have had to have been very fortunate i think he would have been one of those people that you might have if you're around in the late 60s early 70s and you went to see fairport convention or someone like that maybe you got to see him as a support act for that but you'd have been very fortunate to have recognized what you were seeing at the time yeah my dad was a big neil young fan but i'm not sure if he um he ever crossed over into something like this but yeah so yeah he's not on he's not on our gig list nope and sadly never will be but brighter later is an album that is well worth searching out it's if you like guitar-y folksy stuff if you're listening to bands like this is the kit if you like you know the bands that henry's mentioned definitely worth searching him out and having a listen to him agree yeah yeah and i think this is one where he will divide opinion he's not a straightforward run-of-the-mill pop artist so that's one where you, you need to go and make make up your own mind whether he's your cup of tea or not absolutely all right thanks for joining us for another episode i have been rich newnham and i have been henry salmon if you want to get in contact with us you can find us at i might be wrong uk on facebook and on twitter henry still doesn't have a twitter so i'll continue to bully him over that drop us a line let us know what you think tell us if you want to hear particular artists or albums and we will do what we can because it's our podcast so we'll do whatever we want sorry <laughs> Thanks for this week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.